Enterprising in my surroundings I'm finding the quietest estates these days Just representation of storm brewing Amazed that the focus remains The vocal focal point of my change Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast I'm your host, Matt Chittam And this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there Who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. Oh boy, am I excited for this one. So excited for the third installment of the Marathon Milestones miniseries with Alexis McCoy. She's crushing it. She's just out there absolutely crushing it. And she did it again, a 28-day turnaround from Boston to the New York City Marathon. And what a performance by Alexis McCoy. I could not wait to talk to her about this. Not only the race, Lord knows also what she did between the races, between Boston and New York, because that is just as interesting for all of us who are following along as she goes through Boston to New York to CIM. So much fun following along. Before we get into this, I do want to shout out Brio. Gosh, we know the holidays are here. If you're listening to this show, you love running and wellness and staying in just tip-top shape, and probably so do your relatives. So check out Brio for some of your holiday gift needs. You know me. I love the foot massager. It's the best. It is the best thing. I just, my whole family loves this thing. Also, the little massage gun is literally a little massage gun. It's so small. It holds the charge forever. It's, in, it's insane how long it holds its charge. It's super small. It's really portable. And it's so good. Percussive, percussive, is it, percu- is it percussive? Is that the word? Anyway, massage in all of its forms is an extremely valuable thing for athletes. Okay. It makes it, it's, it's, again, it's invaluable. I get it. At the same time, as great as massage therapists are, there are some massage therapists who are listening to this podcast. That's for sure. We've had massage therapists on the podcast. If you can't afford that service, get the little massage gun. It does a lot of the same stuff. It's not exactly the same, but you get a lot of the benefits. It helps so much with pre-run and post-run. I love it. So those are the two, th- two big things for me. The little massage gun and the foot massager, but they have all sorts of wellness products there. Save 20% with code RAMBLINGRUNNER or just go to us.brio.com forward slash RAMBLINGRUNNER to save the 20%. You also find that link in the show notes. So check out Brio, B-R-E-O, today. So let's get into it with Alexis McCoy. Alexis McCoy is back. Can we say Alexis McCoy is back and better than ever? Is that something that we can say? Yes. Yes. I, I'm going to own it. Back and better than ever. Let's roll. This is so exciting. If you haven't listened to the previous episodes with Alexis McCoy, this fall we're doing some milestone mini series with her. Um, McCoy's mini milestones. What are you? A lot of, a lot of alliterations. <laughs> um you're doing three awesome, three awesome marathons this fall. You just completed your second. You just did New York. This is so exciting. So before we get into it, can you just give us the result before we dive into the execution of it? Because it is pretty remarkable. At New York City this past Sunday, November 7th, I ran a 30809, which is a five-minute PR. Woo! Woo! Nelly, tw- how many days after Boston? Did you, did you have a countdown going? I think it's 28. I think it's 28. 28, and then you had 26 until CIM? Because I saw mm-hmm. that I thought that we have 26 days post. Yeah, yeah, we have 26 days till CIM. So we're rolling. Rolling. Four weeks, four weeks. 
make it happen. This is remarkable stuff. So we're going to dive into the marathon and all of that. But last time we talked, we not only dissected what happened at Boston, which was awesome, and a really a great testament to things don't have to go perfect to have a great race. And I think you did a great job of talking about all the various things that didn't go great, but still it was a fantastic result, right? And it was an awesome thing to hear. So as you progressed through that race and then we dive into, all right, let's talk about the race, but also what are we going to do in between these two races? And then I think it was like the next day I look at your run on that day. I'm like, Oh dear, this lady is going for it. Cause you did like 18 miles, like less than a week after Boston. Right. I did. I had an 18 miler and it was a progression run. So Boston was on a Monday and then that progression run was on a Sunday and my coach knows that I love progression runs. So that was a good way to just keep my excitement going. So it was 18 miles. I did a two-mile warm-up and jumped right in at – started at 7.30 pace and then worked my way down to 7.10 pace. And it was in chunks of four. And honestly, I, I'm shocked, but it felt great. It felt great. And that was the first kind of inkling that I had – that, wow, I might be able to pull this off. Have you ever done a race, I mean, a workout like that so quickly after a marathon that you that you raced, right? This wasn't a casual Boston experience. You raced Boston, and it was a legitimate, I'm going to go out here and give it all I got type effort. Less than a week later, you're doing a workout that for a lot of people would be like the capstone workout in their marathon buildup. Have you ever done anything like that before? Absolutely not. <laughs> So were you nervous going in or what was what were some of the feelings? I feel like I get more nervous for some of my workouts than some of my races sometimes. I was nervous. I was more nervous about the physical side of it because mentally I was coming off the high of Boston and my goal going into Boston was a 315 and I walked away with a 313 and I had squeaked out a 13 second PR. And so I felt like just so excited and happy after Boston. And a lot of that high coming off of Boston was I got to see friends that I haven't seen in years. And it was such a fun celebration. So emotionally, I was in a really good spot. And then physically, my quads were hurting pretty bad after Boston, which is totally normal knowing that Boston downhills will beat you up. And so Saturday before my Sunday long run, I did everything you could possibly do. I just did a ton of yoga. I foam rolled. I did a lot of stretching. I did everything I could to prep my quads for that 18 miler because I'm not someone who will just run through pain. I wanted to be as careful as possible. And so when I started that 18 miler, I had very low expectations. I took the two mile warm up nice and easy. And my body gave me all the green lights to just say, you know, step on the gas and let's go. And I ended that 18 miler with absolutely, yes, sore legs, but just super happy and pumped and so insanely grateful that I have a body that can do this. All right. So you could do it, right? You showed that you could do it. You were, it was possible. Was there any part of you that says, was thinking like, all right, I'm assuming that I can do this. Does that mean I should do this? 
right? Because again, you have a lot on your plate coming up, right? It was a part of you was like, hey, maybe we just kind of do some maintenance stuff and then get it rolling again. Like, what, what was there any sort of feeling along those lines? Honestly, I just wanted to take advantage of the opportunity to run New York City. So in the back of my mind, I wanted to be very careful to not glorify what I was doing. I don't I don't recommend to people like, yeah, just just do it without worrying about it. Just run back-to-back marathons. It's not a big deal. But I think that with my background and my experience. And- oh, I'm sorry. I meant like, I just meant like that workout, like that going super hard <laughs> again after the marathon and then like leading into another marathon versus like, hey, maintenance mode between, maintain the fitness and then race again. Like that was a, that, that workout and some of the other things that you've done okay. were were hard, right? That was a, that was a hard effort. So okay. I'm just not, I'm like trying to walk people through not only the races, but like the, the training for it. And then also that period of time between the marathons, which again, you're now you're experiencing again, as you get ready for CIM and the different ways that different people can approach that period. Yeah. I did not want to go into maintenance phase. I wanted to fight for every shred of fitness that I could get before New York city. And I don't think maintenance phase would have done me any favors, it was time to get my my legs moving again and not feel sluggish or not allow my body to kind of retreat. It was, let's see if we can squeak out a little bit of fitness because if you're an experienced marathoner, you know there's really not that much fitness to be gained the last three weeks before your marathon there of course there is some fitness to be gained but it's you're not going to be making like this huge jump you need to be careful you need to stay healthy you need to not overdo it those last three weeks get that long run in, get sleep in get on top of your nutrition so I wanted to be as gre- as aggressive as possible to see gosh, this is a quick turnaround time. Can I improve my overall marathon pace in such a short time between races? So the choice was do the damn workouts and push yourself and see what happens. And then when you had a chance to talk to your coach, Sarah Bishop, podcast favorite, been on a lot more than anybody here on the Rambling Runner podcast. Hopefully we'll have her on her, on her again many more times. Uh, as you were talking to her, post Boston, what were some of the things that she was emphasizing to you, not only for the, um, the the gap time between the races, but as you were preparing for race day and making sure that you had certain things in order? I think for her, she was more sitting back and seeing how that first week went after Boston. And then we were interacting with each other in the VDOT app of me telling her, look, this is going really well. I feel good because it's sometimes she'll see that, yes, I've hit the splits, but I don't, I didn't feel great. And afterwards I felt so beat up. So I was being very clear with her more so than I have been in the past. Like Sarah, this is insane. This feels great. Let's keep going. And so she was adjusting my workouts as we went during those three weeks, seeing that I was thriving and allowing me to get a little bit more aggressive. And did it give you confidence um, having a coach who not only is an exceptional athlete and a really good coach, but someone who also 
loves to race more than anybody. Like three marathons in a season for her is like a light season. So was it like knowing, like knowing that she's someone who has done these kinds of turnarounds her entire career? Uh, did that kind of put you at ease as well, knowing that, hey, this is something that she's done so many times, not only for others, but for herself? Yeah. So that was really important to me to have that kind of faith in, and trust in her. and But then also have her believe in me that this wasn't crazy and to not tell me this is crazy. I knew that I could turn my brain off and leave that part up to her, that she can sit down and figure out the workouts that I need to do in this short amount of time to get from point A to point B and to get me on the starting line ready. The rest is up to me. But I knew that she has the knowledge and the experience and the wisdom that I just don't have. I just don't see the overall bigger picture. I'm not sure how to get myself to be faster from Boston to New York City. But she can see that. She can figure that out. So it was nice just to open up the Vita app, see the workouts and be like, okay, I just have to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And what kind of work were you doing? And you don't have to recount every rep of every workout, but I guess the kinds of, when you were doing up-tempo segments, how long were they, whether, whether it was mileage or for time, and what kind of paces were you doing? Like, So people who may not be familiar with the VDOT app, um, something like you know repetition pace or the interval pace is kind of like 5K pace. And then there's threshold pace, which is like your hour-long pace, which usually corresponds for a lot of people kind of in between half marathon and 10K pace and, and things like that. So what, what kind of paces were you running and uh, focusing on during those four weeks? So you, we already talked about that first one where it was a progression run where it started at 730, went down to 710. Um, my weekday workouts are always the shorter, faster speed. Um, for example, one of those weekday workouts was 14, time, 14 times 400 meter um, repeats at 545 pace. And another week it was mile repeats at what would be my 5K pace. And the biggest workout I had was I did a 19 miler the week after that 18 miler. And that 19 miler had 12 miles in it of 645 pace, which is slightly faster than my half marathon PR pace. And so I knew it was going to be a all right, deuce. Let's talk about that. All right. So, what was it like to see that on the schedule? Like, all right, I want you to run. Basically, a half marathon PR yeah. in the middle of this long run. Yeah. So that's essentially it, what was happening. Yeah. So it was a chunk of, it was um, three times four miles. Oh, yeah, so it wasn't 12 miles straight. Okay. No, no. So right. I had a, I had a warm up, you know, what was it like three mile warm up, three mile cool down. I had, you know, half, I had a half mile jog in between each four mile set. Gotcha. Yeah. So don't worry. That's nice and slow in between. <laughs> um, and at the same time, I'm also at that half mile jog. I'm, I'm grabbing my fuel. I'm grabbing my water. You know, this is not like do or die. This is let's get some fuel in and let's hit the paces. Uh, and I, I absolutely was intimidated by that workout, but I kind of like being backed up against the wall like that and thinking there's no choice here. If I want to run faster in New York city, I know I'm feeling good. So if she tells me 645 at 12 miles, what she's really saying is just go out there, do your best. She's not 
going to be upset if I don't hit 645. She's just saying, you've got to push yourself. And I had probably the best workout of my life in that, within that 19 miles and hit the paces and even my warm up and cool down. I just was in kind of a flow state. And so I ended up averaging 657 pace for 19 miles, which was just, wow. it was insane. But I knew at the end of that, I thought it's time to be aggressive for New York. All right. Let's just throw this out there. Cause for when we talk about mileage in marathon buildup, it can be not misleading, but for some people it might not correlate, right? Because for certain people at different paces, 18 or 19 miles can be a very different kind of run. So for like 18 miles, 19 miles for you, how much time on feet was that? Oh my gosh. I don't know. You're asking me to do math. I don't... <laughs> do you want me to pull up my feet out? Like, oh, no, no, it's fine. It's, but I mean, I mean it's this two hours. not like three hour and 15 minute no, It's, it's right? over These two hours. Two and a half, two hours. Yeah. Yeah. It's over two hours. Yeah. Over two hours. Yeah. Because yeah. I know there are certain people who who do marathon prep and they're like, hey, I got to get my 19 in, my 20 yeah, in. Like, All yeah. right, well, if, you're, if your easy pace is 11 minutes, that's a lot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's over. It was over two hours. But yeah, nothing crazy where I was on my feet for three hours. So at that point, your comments obviously was high after Boston. But then kind of it resets. All right. What am I going to have for New York? Right. This is a totally different thing. And just because I was strong in Boston doesn't necessarily mean. You know, every race is different and all of that stuff. So you're feeling good. The workouts are going great. Let's head to New York. Was this your first New York marathon? This is my very first time running New York City. It's a bucket list race for me. It's always in my mind been a one and done. I entered the New York City Marathon Lottery eight years. I never got in. And then I remember forever ago looking up that there's qualifying times, which are still not guaranteed. It's still first come, first serve if you hit their qualifying time. And I remember reading on their website that it was a 315 marathon. And I laughed and thought, well, that's mean because that's never going to (laughs) happen. So what was it like in terms of just the race day stuff? Because I think people who haven't done it before, they hear about like, oh, you take the bus over, you're on Staten Island. There's this huge prepping scene. There's so many... There's just so many people there and it's this point to point race. So, you you know, it's just like Boston where like, you know, you're not, you're not, you're not finishing and starting in the same location. So uh, what was it like just the morning of and the night before getting ready for what was, what was sure to be a fairly hectic race day morning? Yeah, I find that the most intimidating part about New York City. I wish it was different, but you have to basically sit and wait for that start line. So I took the 5.45 a.m. Midtown bus out to Staten Island, and that bus got there super fast. People had told us, oh, it can take you up to 90 minutes. No, we were there by, gosh, 6.40 or so. So we get off the bus, and it is cold. It's about 40 degrees. The sun uh, sunrise that day was 7.30, so the sun's not up. We're in throwaway clothes. So you have to think. So I get off the bus and I am not starting until 9, 10 a.m. So it's a long, intimidating, exhausting morning because runners are anxious and nervous and we don't know what to do with all that free time. So they give you a small plastic bag that whatever fits in there is what you're allowed to bring with you and nothing else. And so 
I had a really old yoga mat that I like shoved in this tiny bag. I bought like a $10 blanket. Everything gets donated at the start line. So I had a bunch of throwaway clothes on, like I had like five layers on. I even brought extra pair of socks because you're walking around on wet grass all morning. So you don't want to start with cold feet. And I literally put my yoga mat in the sunniest spot that I could find. I tried to lay down and take a nap. (laughs) It didn't work. (laughs) So I just, I stretched. I kind of just listened to all the sounds around me. I took plenty of time to have some extra carbs, run to the bathroom. They open up the corrals um, about 45 minutes before you start. And so you're allowed to go in the corrals then. I waited until the very last minute to get into the corral because I kind of, I didn't want to be on my feet extra time. I didn't want to absorb all that nervous energy in the corral. So my corral closed at 845. So I stepped into my corral at like 844. And just so if anyone's wondering, once you're in the corrals, they still have porta pots restrooms for you. So you still have an extra chance to go to the bathroom if you need to. You still can keep your extra layers on. You can wait until you go to the bridge to peel off those layers. So once it was about like 9 a.m., they started walking us towards the Verrazano Bridge And then they have a DJ playing music and you just stand there and it is, the energy is wild. And you can see the monster hill that is the Verrazano Bridge. So that's kind of a nutshell of, of the timing of the morning. It's like I was up at 5 a.m. on the bus by 545, plenty of time to have breakfast. You do, you do sit in the cold for a very long time on the hard ground. And we were lucky because Honestly, Matt, what do people do if it's pouring rain and snowing? And what do people do? Yeah, that's tough, man. That's for sure. And I can imagine there are quite a few people who are just like on their feet for four hours, just standing there. And that's that's a tall task as well. Yes, I did notice that there were people sitting on the ground next to me that weren't starting until noon that day. So I'm lucky that I started. Yes, yes. I do think that there are some buses that are just a tiny bit later that you can take, but not that much later. You still end up sitting on the ground for a long time. All right. So when it's time to when it's time to run, did you feel like you were ready for action or did you have to kind of kind of knock some rust off there because of the the atypical morning buildup? Yeah, I felt like I needed to knock some rust off. I It was just anxious energy. You don't have the room or space to be doing a couple sprints or strides. You really don't. That's not happening. So it's kind of just like I was like slapping my legs, you know, doing some calf raises, you know, moving my arms around. And then you could tell everyone was so nervous because everyone was dancing. These are like serious fast runners and everyone's dancing to the beat of the music, loving the DJ. And I thought, well, this is a good warm up. Just start dancing. And the energy was good and people were ready to go. That is exciting. All right. So you mentioned you were ready for action. You were ready to run aggressively. So did you have a plan, a pace plan, an execution plan going into this one? Yes. So my coach reached out as as the days got closer to New York. She did touch base and say, look, the very last communication I had with her was, 
three ten. Look, we can we can both comfortably say three ten, and that would be right around seven fifteen pace. But she also mentioned to me she was confident that seven oh five to seven ten pace was not a stretch for me. That you know I could be her words were reasonably aggressive, which I loved, <laughs> and I really appreciated her belief in me because going into New York, understandably, I had a ton of people tell me, lower your expectations. New York is significantly harder than Boston. On paper, New York is typically four minutes slower than Boston. And there's nothing wrong with anyone saying that to me because they're basing it on their own personal experience or they're basing it on their athlete's experience. And so Sarah and I did have a quick exchange about that. And I appreciated that she saw what I was seeing that, yes, I ran a 313 at Boston, but then my workouts had felt so great. And no one else knew that other than me and Sarah. And if she's telling me you can be reasonably aggressive, then I know I don't have to worry about, oh, it's four minutes slower on paper. It's okay to to dream a little and think, let's just see what happens. Right. Because even the 313, which was great, and it was a PR, it was awesome. It wasn't like you... As we mentioned before, you like blew the doors off of it and you had like this perfect race and everything fell into place and so on and so forth. Right. It was one of those like this was a triumph because of the in-race hurdles that you had in addition to all the training you did. And certainly there's much more to it than just race day. But um, I can see how you would be like, hey, yeah, four minutes. Sure. But like that wasn't a perfect race either. So what what adjustment did we make off that? Yeah. So that was the biggest thing that I think I understood and Sarah understood is that I had major fueling issues in Boston and I was very nauseous in that race. And I walked three times in that race and I've never done that before. So even if you just do the math of, okay, if I don't walk at New York City and I don't step off the course thinking I'm going to projectile vomit, I'm going to save some seconds there. I'm going to save maybe a minute there. So (laughs) that's what I was excited about. All right, which is a great segue (laughs) into what did you do in this race, at least proactively, and we'll go into if you had any issues, but proactively, what did you do going into this race to try to ensure that you wouldn't have the same issues that you had in Boston? So... I think it's funny because I promise I'm not coming on Rambling Runner to talk about my menstrual cycle. But if anyone, if anyone with a menstrual cycle could do the math, the two races, Boston and New York, were 28 days apart. So hey, hey guess what? So is CIM. So we, can, we can just plug you the next episode now. Thank you. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just putting it out there that. Everything that happened at Boston was lining up the same exact timing for New York. And I actually was super excited about that because it was another chance to execute my plan in a better way. And so I worked with Megan Featherson for Boston and for New York. And we could deconstruct what went wrong at Boston because of where I was at in my menstrual cycle. I 
accidentally took in too much fluid before the start. I took a gel on the start line. I overdid it and that ended up everything sitting in my stomach like a brick. So we did the opposite this time. It was don't take in too many electrolytes the morning of. Don't take in too much sodium and fluid the morning of. Like she put a strict cap on my fluid. She's like, do not go over 20 ounces. And I was like, I'm sitting there for two hours. I'm going to want to chug water and chug my liquid IV. She was like, you just sip. You just sip on that. And so I just, I sipped all morning. I did not take a gel at the start line. Instead, the plan was do not take in any Gatorade endurance at the aid stations. Only take in water. But because I was only going to take in water at the aid stations, I needed to replace the sodium that I was going to be missing out on with the Gatorade Endurance. So we switched my fuel from Morton Gels to Cliff Shot Blocks, but specifically the ones that have two times and three times more sodium added to them. So there we go. The water was going to balance out and help me absorb that sodium from the Cliff Shot Blocks and I wouldn't need the Gatorade Endurance. And it worked beautifully. And I have to say... We did practice this. The moment Boston ended, I bought cases of these cliff shot blocks and I practiced them as many times as I possibly could. And I knew it was going to work because that 19 miler that I ran at 657 overall pace, I had slammed like two full packets of it. I could have done more. It went down okay. I didn't feel nauseous. This was executed with a lot of practice. All right. Interesting. All right. So when you were thinking about being reasonably aggressive, and that's a great phrase, and I'm definitely going to steal it. Um, <laughs> what did, was, did that correlate with a certain time in the race? Or was that a, a feeling mantra or, you know, just reaction to how uh, how the race was playing out as early as you felt it? So for me, I was super intimidated thinking about running 310 because that equals 715 pace and I had averaged 722 pace at Boston and I don't care who you are I think you at some point in your life you're always going to struggle from imposter syndrome and I'm thinking what business do I have running 715 pace and even when my coach Sarah Bishop said Alexis you can you can run 705 710 pace and feel fine and even then, that that seems mind blowing to me. It's I know I said I ran 19 miles at 6:57, but what my brain does is my brain says maybe you just had a good day, maybe it was just a fluke, maybe it was just good timing, good weather. You know, I, I have a hard time believing in myself, and so when I stood on that start line, I don't typically have a mantra. But I said to myself that day over and over and over, I belong. I belong with these runners that I think are faster than me. I belong with people who can run 705 pace. I belong with people who can run sub seven minute miles in a marathon. I just had to tell myself, it's okay. You belong with this pack. All right. So at what point in this race do you start, you know, being aware of the paces you are running, right? Because, you know, as you mentioned, you start the race, you're going up a bridge, then you're going down a bridge, right? So it's not like you're going to go 
you know, 715 pace up, 715 pace down, that would just be a really bad idea in both directions, right? So at what point are you aware of your watch and thinking about, all right, I want to hit these splits versus just running by feel? So I felt very aware from the from the first step. And I did make the last minute decision that I was going to manually lap my watch. I was worried about the tall buildings, just like it affects your watch in Chicago, the GPS. So I decided I'm going to manual lap it. So I have a more accurate idea of what my exact pace is. And I did not know there was going to be a 310 pacer in my wave, but there was. So in my mind, I thought, I don't really want to run with the pacer, but staying around him, I can have an idea of where I'm at. And that plan went out the window within the first minute of the race because I felt he was holding back too much the first mile. And I charged up that bridge because in my mind, I'm like, I don't want to start the race in a huge hole, a huge, you know, deficit of I got to make up this time. So I felt good enough to charge up the bridge. There was a time where my my watch was reading nine minute pace up that bridge. And I thought, just don't look at your watch. Run the effort. I felt strong. Pump your arms. It'll be over soon. The second mile was straight downhill. And the 310 pacer passed me like I was standing still. And I thought, well, there goes my race. I can't respond to what he's uh, couldn't doing. Even, couldn't even make it to the second mile. Too bad. <laughs> all those all those demons were there. They were like, you loser. You sprinted up that first hill. Look at him. You couldn't even you. make it to the second burrow. <laughs> and so, um, and, and during this time, as I'm panicking about the 310 Pacer passing me, during this time, I realized that instead of hitting the lap split on my watch, I had stopped my watch. And so (laughs) I no longer (laughs) know what pace I'm running. I'm like, oh my, uh, there are a lot of F words coming out of my mouth. I was so mad at myself. And so, you know, started my watch again, took a deep breath. Don't worry about the pacer, run your own race. And right around mile three is where things got crazy because I had a split second where I caught up to the 310 pacer and his pace all of a sudden felt slow. And it was the weirdest feeling in the world where I had this split second decision of, am I acting based on my ego or am I acting based on my actual ability? And I just thought, go for it. This is New York City, go for it. And those next two miles, mile three through five, were sub seven minute miles. And the craziest thing about all of this is I started completely separately in a different corral and on a physical different level of the bridge from my friend Monica. And I ran into her at mile three. Monica, who we heard all about in our last episode, doing awesome, awesome things in her own right. So was she your running buddy from there on out or what what happened then? So from there on out, we ran miles three through 16 together. 
And it, we laughed so hard when I like I saw her braids swishing back and forth in front of me. I just busted out laughing. We had uh, been on the bus ride together, and she had said to me, "How crazy would it be if we run into each other during the race?" And I said, "That's not going to happen because her goal was three o five, and I was very clear that my goal was three ten, and." There was no way that was going to happen because her pace was going to be so much faster than mine. And so even when I did catch up to her and we had a good laugh and and we couldn't believe the odds, I said to her, I'm just going to try and stay with you maybe for a mile. I said, I don't, this will probably be short lived, but I'm going to run with you for a little bit and see how I feel. And I just left it at that. Well, obviously much more than just a mile. Was that because you felt like you were you were comfortably running her pace? Was she maybe not hitting the pace that she wanted? Or was it kind of like a confluence of events? I think she was still at a good place where she wanted. I definitely was, in my mind, I felt I was overreaching, you know, running a 658 and again, 658 back to back. I was like, this is maybe not the smartest move mile three through five. But again, it was the same experience of Boston where my breathing was in check. I felt super strong. And I do think I have enough experience as a runner. New York City was my 19th marathon. I do think you know, and I know my body very well, and it did not seem or feel like a reach, which it's just insane for me to even think that that's like an okay pace that I could do. So I I went with it and I decided I'm going to do the same thing I did in Boston. I'm going to run next to Monica and I'm going to take it one mile at a time and ride the wave as much as I can. All right. So at, did, at any point, did your pace start to fade or did you start to really, really struggle to maintain that pace? So the whole, honestly, it's a little crazy, but the whole time it felt good. I I, of course, slowed down on the monster climbs that are the bridges. There's a climb around mile 15, which is uh, just a massive bridge, and you're by yourself, and you're under an overpass, and there's no one out on the course, obviously. And you just have to go by effort. And it felt calm because everyone had warned me about it because I thought, oh, of course I'm going to slow down. But Sarah had said to me, look, Alexis, what goes up must come down. And I kept telling myself that. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about these hills. Of course, you're going to slow down. Of course, it's going to hurt. Just wait for the downhill. Take advantage of it and keep it rolling. So there were, you know, if you look at my splits, they're not the most even splits. But I can't point to If they to were, it. it would be ridiculous, right? I feel right. like if you like ran even splits over those bridges. Right. Yeah. So... I don't, I don't want to say like, oh yeah, there was a time where it was a struggle. I just like any other marathoner, I do think when you're pushing yourself like that mentally and physically, you do feel like you're teetering on the edge, but it didn't feel like danger zone. It felt like this is super scary and I need to believe in myself and I need to be brave. All right. So any, anyone who's ever done a marathon has experienced what the last, you know, 10, 12 K can feel like, and it can be a struggle fest, even if things are going well, right? Even if you run a great time and you are able to maintain your pace, the effort needed can be on a whole different level. What was it like for you as a first time New York City marathoner 
to have that last 10K or so with the kind of crowds that are in and around that race. And obviously you've run Boston many times. So I'd love to hear just the comparisons you were able to draw and just what, what a first timer felt like um, coming down, coming down the chute there. And in such a, uh, that's a, it seemed like such a crazy day, right? The crowds were great. The weather was great. It just, it did seem like a kind of a, a generational experience. Yeah, I feel a little bit like I'm I'm cheating on Boston by talking about New York City because I've always told everyone Boston is the greatest race on this planet. There are no greater spectators than those at Boston. And oh my gosh, I feel guilty saying this, but New York City is my new favorite marathon and the spectators were the best spectators I've ever experienced. And it was a 26.2 mile party. And I know you mentioned the last 10K, but I mean, Brooklyn showed up, like every single borough showed up. And at one point from mile 15 to 16, you're going over a bridge because you're coming back into man, you're, you're coming into Manhattan. And that is what I was mentally holding on to. I was like, once I get into Manhattan, it is mile 16. I am back in the city. I've got 10 to go and I've just got to work. And I have never experienced what I felt at mile 16. You get off that bridge. It is so loud. You can't hear yourself think. And the streets are lined on both sides and I was so emotional. I saw my sister at mile 16, and we both just screamed our heads off at each other. And I smiled from mile 16 to mile 18. And those miles were another set of sub seven minute miles because I just felt so amped by the crowd and I can't remember the last time I felt like that and I I'm sure I would have felt like that at Boston but I was fighting back nausea and so at mile 16 when I saw my sister I knew it we made eye contact and I just thought I'm having myself a day and it's like to realize it in the moment to realize that you've got 10 miles to go and it's a celebration is the best feeling in the world. And the New Yorkers were just, they were so happy to be there. They were so happy to have the race back and to have it be a beautiful day. And so it wasn't just the final 10K. And there were parts where people said, oh, it's going to get really quiet in the Bronx. It's going to be really quiet here or there. I did not experience that. I felt like it was loud and energetic and vibrant every step of the way and the signs were funny and great and the crowd lifted you up and in my opinion the last 5k is the most brutal of the course there it is hill after hill after hill and it was so painful but at the same time you can't help but smile because Everyone wanted to party. Everyone was proud of you and smiling at you and wanting to see you succeed. That is so exciting. I've heard a lot of people talk about coming off the bridge into Manhattan and those that burst of energy that can flow through the crowd into the runners. Um, and I've heard, I've heard it in both directions. Like, Hey, this is great. It's going to really propel you down, you know, down that road. At the same time, I've heard other people like, Hey, you got to be careful because, you're going to get this adrenaline rush and you 
it's not, you're not near the finish. Like you have a long way to go still. Again, you are an experienced marathoner. He said, you've run a lot of these. So maybe it's different for someone like you, but I can imagine other people getting this shot of adrenaline and then like four miles later being like, <laughs> what? I'm like mile 20? Like, what's going on here? Yeah. So I was warned by multiple people, be careful in that spot. But the Band-Aid had been ripped off at that point. I came across the half and did click my watch over to see the exact half marathon split. And I was like, it's going to be a PR day. And it's up to me to figure out, decide, and do the effort of how big of a PR is it going to be. And that is an insane feeling. I am 19 marathons deep and I've maybe only experienced that like once or twice in my life. And so I felt fine going crazy miles 16 to 18 because it felt like my body could handle it. And it and I also knew I had been warned about the mile 23 hill. I knew the last 5K was going to be rough. So it was like, let's just go. Let's just go. And as naive and dumb as it sounds, I had made up my mind that, look, if I blow up, I blow up. No regrets. All right. So tell me about the finish, right? Every race, there's that last 2% effort that we all, you know, do we do we give in or do we push hard, hard, hard all the way to the end and tell, you know, the, the devil on our shoulders to, to, you know, to hit the road and we, we really kick it in. What was it like when you entered Central Park and, you know, you had all of that in front of you? So I saw the sign where it said 800 meters to go. And that's when I, I clicked my watch over to see what my overall time on feet was. And I was trying to do the math in my head, not, not my strong suit. And I was like, I definitely think I can do 307. I knew it was going to be close. I thought if I sprint, I can maybe get 307.59. So I go as hard as I can. Of course, in the back of your mind, this is so vain, but I'm like, I'd really like to have a nice finish line photo. But then I'm like, F it, F it. Just pump your arms and just grit it out. Who cares if you look like a crazy animal? I'm like, just push as hard as you can. And it's so exciting being in Central Park that you don't care. You just want to sprint it in. And of course, I cross the finish line thinking I had run like high 307 but let's backtrack I had stopped my watch earlier in the race <laughs> so no it was not accurate <laughs> I found out later it was a 30809 there's no there's no hard feelings about that it was just like I was laughing at myself thinking that <laughs> I had broken 308 but it was worth the sprint it was worth it I love it absolutely and did you have um you know friend, personal friend, podcast friend, Allie Feller at the finish line is doing, you know, she wasn't the only one, but doing, doing call out. Did you happen to, to run across her or hear, hear her voice coming through? I did not. So I think Allie had the early shift and the late shift. Um, I had run into Allie like the day before at a um, event I had gone to. So it was nice just to see her smiling face and to nice just to like absorb her fun, happy energy. I wish I could have lined up that she was announcing at the same time I finished. But I also was just so excited that I was going to get one of those free blue ponchos. <laughs> That's all I cared about. <laughs> Alexis, this is so exciting. <laughs> My goodness. I mean, 
Ah, I mean, this race, even on itself, it just, if it stood alone, right? There were no other races in the fall. It would be remarkable. The fact that this happened after Boston and then leading into another race that we'll chronicle a month from now is, is, is even more so. So here we are, right? So what, it's Wednesday today. I'm losing track of the days. You're, you're several days out. How are you feeling? I, I don't want to, I don't want to jinx it, but I feel I physically, I feel better um, coming off of New York than I did Boston. I do not have any lingering soreness. The you know, I had quad pain after Boston. I don't have any of that right now. I took one day off after New York. I ran four easy miles yesterday. Zero pain, zero pain. And there is a point where I just kind of look at my legs and say, thank you. Thank you. Because I just want to keep this feeling rolling and, I told myself, and I said this on your last podcast, I want to make sure I check in with, with myself mentally, physically, emotionally, make sure I'm making the right decision for myself, for my family. I don't want to go off the deep end. I can honestly tell you, I've never had this much fun running. This has just been such a joy. And I feel incredibly lucky that I have one more. And I think it's going to be a good one. You gonna sign up for Houston? We can keep this going. <laughs> you, you, have, you have any plans for January? Uh, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't wait. I will see you at CIM. So I will be running the marathon as well. Um, unlike your experience with Monica, we will not see each other during the race. There is zero <laughs> chance of that happening. If it does happen, then things are not going well for you. So I certainly wish we do not see each other on the course. Um, with that said, we're going to be doing some live shows out at CIM. So hopefully I'll be able to catch up with you at some point. Last time we were there, 2018, we had a great meetup. So hopefully you can see each other in person and that would be fantastic. But until then, good luck with your training. And I can't wait to catch up with you again in a month. Thank you, Matt. I'm so excited. I'll touch base soon. Alexis, thank you so much for coming back. I'm loving these. I'm loving these mini series. I'm going to keep them going. I don't know what we're going to do in the winter and the spring, but I'm a big fan of these. I can see why my good friend Allie Feller loves doing the mini series move because it's so much fun. So big shout out to Alexis. Also, big shout out to Brio, B R E O. Go check out the, go check out, there it is, their foot massagers and massage gun today. It's a huge deal 20% using code Rambling Runner or by just going to US. Dot brio.com forward slash rambling runner. You'll find the link in the show notes to go save your money on great products for you and or for your loved ones today. Thank you so much for listening and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of In Post Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry I got.